Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Let's get into our text today. Uh, for the last couple of months, well, not months, the last couple of weeks, we have been in a series entitled Vintage Church, uh, subtitled A Model for the Modern World. And we have been looking at the original church, the OG church in the book of Acts, and taking a look at the DNA and the culture, the foundation that they established for us that God ultimately intended for us to follow as the church continued to grow throughout history. And we've been doing a little bit of a compare and contrast to see, does today's church look like the vintage church? Uh, do, do the values and does the culture, do, do the things that they really placed a priority on, do those exist in the context of the church today? And if we're finding any kind of a disparity, then we're allowing the Holy Spirit to convict us and move us to a place of change. Because if you recall, the church is not some organization that we can point a finger out and some nebulous thing out there. You to church, I to church, we all to church. And so if the Holy Spirit is saying, we need to fix some stuff, we need to look in a mirror and say, what do you need to fix in me? So we've been talking about the fact that the church started in this supernatural unity that didn't exist anywhere else in the world where people from every different tribe and tongue and every different kind of culture, they came together under the banner of Jesus' name. And then for the last four weeks, we've been talking about the foundation stones, the pillars of the New Testament church. We talked about the fact that one of their pillars was that they fellowshiped together. They broke bread with one another in community. Uh, that they were people of prayer, that they committed themselves to the disciples' teaching, or the apostles' teaching, excuse me. And then last week, we talked about the fact that they operated in this incredible generosity. Now, according to the theologians, there were only four pillars, so we should be done with the series today, and we should have found something new and creative to go into. But uh, as I was looking back at this text this week, I really felt compelled to, to pull out one more truth, if I could, about the vintage church as it directly pertains to what we're doing in this room, gathering together with other humans in a building. Today, I wanna to talk to you about the gathering. And to the best of my ability, I wanna answer this question. Why? Why are we gathering here today? Why have we decided to sing behind masks despite the fact that our government has told us that it's unsanctioned? Why have we decided to create a place for people to gather together while we've been directed to stay home and keep our distance from one another? Why have we, knowing the risks and the reality of the virus that we face right now, why have we bathed ourselves in sanitizer just to come to the house of God and gather together with some people? What is the purpose for this gathering? Is it, is it really that important? Why? Because let's be honest, we better have a very compelling why if we're doing this right now. There better be a good reason for it. If, if all we're doing is, you know, just trying to get back together because it's fun to do, then we have unnecessarily put a whole lot of people at risk just to do this right now. So there better be a good reason. And what is that reason? Why are we doing this? I know that maybe some in the room are asking that right now. I know a lot of people that are watching from the comfort of their living rooms right now are asking that question. I know that because you've texted me and you've called me and you've emailed me and, you, and you've shared your concerns about what we're doing right now, justifiably. Wanting to know, what's the rush? Why, why are we trying to get back into a building together? Why not just wait? Wait till there's a vaccine or wait, wait a couple of months and just see how this thing pans out. I know that because there's pastors that I communicate with on a regular basis and some have decided to open churches, others have decided to keep them closed. And 
There's a, a question that's kind of floating around out there on that text message stream. What is the rush to get back to the building? Like there's other things the church can do. There's other expressions of the church. Why are we rushing back to gather? And I think that's an important question. I think it's a question that we need to answer as we sit in this space or as we consider how we're going to be engaging in church for the next few months. And so I wanna answer that question. I wanna talk about it. Before I talk about it, I wanna pray about it. You up for that? <laughs> Let's pray as we get into the word. Jesus, we honor you here in your house today. We honor you in every living room that's watching right now. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that your word promises that as we go to it, as we seek it, as we search it, that it will cut right between the soul and the spirit. It'll get right to the heart of where we're living. We believe that your word has the power to change us. Not just change our ultimate destiny so that we can end up in heaven one day, but it can change the way we think. It can change the way we act. It can change the, the convictions of our heart. It can change the way we live our lives. And so I ask Holy Spirit, as we go to your word today, that you would draw out the truth that every person needs to hear. And we'd be able to answer this question for ourselves. Why is the gathering so important? Why gather? We trust you today. We lean into you today, Holy Spirit. Speak to us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, come on, everyone said, Amen. say it so the living room can hear you. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. Acts chapter two, verse 42. Every believer was faithfully devoted to following the teachings of the apostles. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another, sharing communion and coming together regularly for prayer. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and their possessions and they shared the money with those that, are in, that were in need. Uh, they worshiped together at the temple and each day they met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, come on, each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those that were being saved. Uh, it is impossible to look at this text that we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks and not see this, this pattern and this theme that's been displayed here in the New Testament church, in the vintage church. Just to pull out a couple of lines, they came together for prayer. They met together in one place. They worshiped together at the temple and in their homes. Together, together, together. There was a, a real sense of the need and the urgency and, and the essential nature of gathering together. They understood that they could fellowship by themselves, but they needed to fellowship together. They could pray by themselves, but they needed to pray together. What use is generosity if you're just giving to yourself? No, I need to give together in the room. Like there was this real sense that they had to be among one another. So much so that even being together became the very definition of the church. It was their identity. It wasn't just something that they did. It was in fact who they were. Jesus ultimately named this group of people that would call upon his name, were called Christians, but he, he actually gave us an identity that actually displays and, and embodies what we're doing right now. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He said, I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell will not conquer it. Well, that word church that Jesus gave to define us in the Greek is the word ekklesia. And this is literally the definition of the church. A gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place and assembly. I can't make that kind of stuff up. <laughs> called out from their homes and called together. Literally what Jesus said is, I'm gonna build something on this earth. 
Once I, I give my life on a cross and I resurrect from the grave and I offer new life to all those who put their faith and their trust in me, I'm gonna build something among that group of people and it's gonna be called the church. And it's gonna be comprised of people that leave their homes and come together in a public space and they lift up my name together. As they gather together in my name, I am identifying them as my church. Literally, when we do what we're doing right now, we become, by definition, the church. Now, I don't say that to throw shade at anyone that's not in a building right now. There's obviously the church that's been scattered abroad and people are watching from a lot of different places, even in our own community right now. And it might feel like, you know, semantics here. We're like, really, are you, are you gonna just try to compare us right now to, you know, this, this group of people from the, the New Testament? You know, they were able to gather together, but I don't know if they told you, Pastor Tim, we kind of have a global pandemic on our hands. Like, it's not fair to compare us to them because we're facing something that they were not facing it was okay for them to come together. But literally, if we come together in a room, we are risking our lives. We are potentially putting ourselves in danger just by gathering together. So it's unfair to compare the two. And to that, I would say, you're right. They didn't have a global pandemic on their hands. The Rona had not reared her or his or its ugly head yet, whatever gender it defines with. Like, that, that hadn't happened yet. However... I think it would be false to state that coming to church did not have its risks. In fact, it'd be inaccurate to say that church has always been, or has never been a risky place because church has always been a very risky gathering. Let me, let me, let me throw a little education out there if I could. At the beginning of the first century when the church was birthed, the Jews hated the Christians So much so that the religious leaders, they would break into people's gatherings where the Christians were gathered. They would begin to arrest believers, drag them back to be tried. Some were even executed. You see that in your own Bible, in the book of Acts chapter eight, where Stephen is stoned, and Acts chapter nine, when uh, Saul, who was later known as Paul, was on his way to Damascus to do what? To arrest some Christians and potentially put them to death. There was a risk when the believers gathered together in Damascus, a risk of death. In the latter half of the first century, when uh, Nero became emperor in Rome, he thought that the Christians had lit a fire that took half of Rome out. And so he blamed them for this this, uh, act of arson. And as a result of it, he banned Christianity in all of Rome. And if people were caught gathering together, they were arrested right there on site. And the punishment for gathering together in the name of Jesus, you were dipped in wax, you were tied to a pole, and you were hung up in his garden so that you could be used as a human torch for his parties. Absolutely disgusting, but that's what they faced. In the third and fourth centuries, as Rome continued to, uh, to, 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 cause, or to tell the church they couldn't gather, if you were found in a gathering of believers that were calling upon the name of Jesus, man, woman, and children could be arrested. They could be brought into the Colosseums and fed to the lions. We've all heard of it before. History has always proven that it was risky to get together with Christians. And if you might say, okay, well, that's ancient history, okay? We don't need to talk about that. That happened a long time ago. That's not happening right now. No one's getting fed to lions. True. However, do you know that as you sit in this room today, one out of every nine Christians that gathers together in our globe risks being arrested, imprisoned, or even executed for their faith. Christianity is still illegal in over 50 countries in this world. And when people gather together in the name of Jesus, there's a possibility of death. Well, I guess for nine out of nine Christians because of coronavirus, but you get what I'm saying. Before this, one out of every nine Christians, it was risky. You can't be a Christian in places like Iran, 
parts of Afghanistan, North Korea, parts of China. The church has always been underground because of the risks that are associated with gathering. I was talking with a missionary years ago from um, Iran and he was sharing with me that there was a time when their church was under intense persecution by their government and every week people from their church were being taken out of their homes and executed at gunpoint. All because they put their faith in Jesus. And uh, he said that one Sunday they gathered together with their church and they were moving from location to location because they didn't want to be found. And uh, in the middle of worship, the back doors opened up and these masked men who were armed came barreling into the back and they said, all right, you have 30 seconds to leave the room. If you're a believer in this Jesus and you want to renounce it right now, you can save your life and you can disappear. But for those of you who stay in the building today, you become a martyr. He said that half the church got up out of their chairs and they ran out the back door to keep their lives safe. And then once everyone who wanted to leave had left, they closed the back doors, they took off their masks and they set down their guns and they said, now that the real Christians are here, we can have church. That's the environment all across this globe where Christians are gathering today. Just because we haven't seen it yet doesn't mean it doesn't exist. This is just the first time us comfortable Christians in America have seen something like this. And yet millions of people gather every single day, every single week to lift up the name of Jesus, which begs the question, why? What is so special about this that would force people, cause people to risk being eaten by lions, burned alive, imprisoned, executed. What is so special about this gathering that compels people to risk everything just to be among believers? Is it really that special? Obviously, I'm convinced it is. (laughs) We wouldn't be sitting here if we weren't. Obviously, I'm convinced that something happens in this space that is so needed in the body of Christ right now. And my hope over the next couple of moments is to compel, convince maybe some in the room and some watching of the same. Now, let me tell you what my motivation is not over the next couple of moments. My motivation is not to try to get people to put themselves at risk, okay? I am not teaching on this today because I'm trying to get people who might be enjoying church from home right now to risk their lives, to come to church, especially those who are sick in their body and coming here would be a great risk to them. That is not my hope today. I am not trying to twist people's arm and motivate you to come someplace that you don't feel comfortable in coming, okay? That's not it at all. But I think we have to answer the question why. I think we have to determine our why behind this gathering. And so that's my hope today, to simply articulate our why. So if you're taking notes, buckle up buttercup. We've got some good content for you today. All right. Number one, two, two of the main reasons that I'm convinced we need to gather. Number one, God inhabits the gathering. God inhabits the gathering. In the Bible, the gathering of believers is given a number of different names. The temple, uh, the courts, uh, most often the phrase that's used to describe what we're doing right now is the house of God, AKA the father's house. Hey, (laughs) but we are in the house of God right now. And that is a very significant term biblically, biblically because of the implications of the house of God. It was understood all throughout scripture, all throughout the old Testament, that when people gathered in the house of God, there was an intensified sense of God's presence. 
The house was where the presence of God dwelt. It's not to say that God can't be everywhere at all times. We, we, we know that God's everywhere. They understood that. Like God could show up in your field. He could show up, uh, you know, at Starbucks. He could show up, well, maybe not at Starbucks, but a real coffee shop. Uh, he could show up on Market Street. I mean, he could show up and I'm sorry. That was, if you work at Starbucks, I love you. You're a great barista. You got one good drink there. It's your nitro with the honey and the salted stuff. It's amazing. But the rest of them will little taste like deer urine. But anyway, um, <laughs> I digress. Uh, God can be all places at all times. Uh, but there was this collective acknowledgement that when we gathered together, it was different. It, it didn't feel the same as when God was everywhere. Like there was this intensified sense of God's presence. And, and the theologians have given it a name. They've delineated between what they call the omnipresence and the manifest presence of God. Omnipresence means that God is everywhere all the time. He's here, he's on Market Street, he's in the club, uh, he's hanging out while you're browsing around on the internet. Sorry if that freaks you out a little bit. Like, God is everywhere at all times. But there are places, there are moments where the presence of God intensifies. And that would be called the manifest presence of God. Many of us have felt that in this space. Many of us have felt that at other gatherings. Where when a group of people are gathered together, suddenly... It's like Jesus himself is standing in our midst and there is no denying his presence is here. Yeah, he's omnipresent, he's everywhere. But chances are, if you were, you know, twerking at the club all of a sudden, like you didn't feel the manifest presence of Jesus all of a sudden, like weeping, like, oh God, it's here right now. If you did, I wanna hear that story. It's probably an amazing one. But, but probably when you've been in the house before, when you've been gathered together with other believers, you've experienced the manifest presence of Jesus. He talks about it. In fact, he promises it in the book of Matthew chapter 18. He said, when two or more are gathered together in my name, I am right there in the midst of them. Can you meet with Jesus by yourself? Absolutely, you can meet with Jesus by yourself. But he said it right there in scripture. When you gather together with others in my name, I'm gonna be right there in your midst. You're gonna feel me. You're gonna sense me. There is a manifest sense of my presence. I think the, uh, the, the greatest example of this in all of scripture is, uh, is in Psalm chapter 22. I love Psalm chapter 22. It is written by uh, David and it is a prophetic Psalm. Uh, David here writes what the, many have called a messianic Psalm and it captures the thoughts and even the words of Jesus hundreds of years before he ever walked onto this planet just by pen. David wrote this down before even Jesus showed up and, and we, get a, we get to see this glimpse of what Jesus declares about what we're doing right now. In uh, Psalms chapter 22, verse three, Jesus says through David, you, God, are holy. You are enthroned on the praises of Israel. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. Permission to go deep. Can we go a little bit deep this morning? You guys up for that? For the note takers? Lick your pen. All right, here we go. All right. We're going to give you a brief Hebrew lesson because when we understand what a couple of these words mean in Hebrew in this scripture, it takes on a whole new potency and it really does establish something about what we're doing right now. That word enthroned, when he says you God are enthroned on the praises, that word enthroned in the Hebrew is the word yeshav. And it means to sit down as an authority, to dwell, to inhabit, or to abide. To sit down, to dwell, to inhabit, or to abide. So God, you sit down as an authority. You dwell, you abide on the praises of Israel. Now that word praises, again, an important definition, is the word tehillah in Hebrew, not tequila, just to be clear, okay? 
God does not abide in tequila, which might be a revelation for somebody right now. Oh, thank you, Jesus. All right. <laughs> so dumb. Tequila. <laughs> Blanco or de gold? I don't know. Okay. Tequila, an act of general or public praise, a group lifting up praise together. An act of general or public praise, when a group of people come together and lift up their voices. Let's, let's put this together, because I think this is such a powerful revelation. What Jesus is saying through David, it's not man's opinion, this is God himself. What Jesus is saying is that God inhabits, he dwells, he begins to sit down and rest in a room when people gather together and they lift up praises to him. There is an establishment of something in that space that can't exist outside of that space. Uh, I, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm gonna get a little bit excited as I preach this for just a moment because this is such a powerful thing. Jesus doesn't say, oh, well, God shows up and gives a couple of air fives and a couple of air hugs, you know, well, because of the Rona, you know, he's just kind of keeping his distance and like, hey, he's gonna kind of show up, but it's, eh, it's gonna be okay. No, he says that God literally sits down. He makes himself comfortable. He reclines, <laughs> in a gathering of people who come together and they lift up their voices, not just to visit, but to establish his authority in that space. Come on, when we begin to worship God and a group of people, there is an establishment of the authority of God and anything that begins to exalt itself against the name of Jesus is exposed for what it truly is and it is put asunder his feet. He begins to take authority over sickness and authority over depression and authority over confusion and authority over lack and authority over prejudice and authority over anything that we see happening in our world right now when the believers gather together and they lift up their voice. God says, in that space, I will take authority over everything the enemy is trying to use to bring destruction and I will establish my name once again. He inhabits the praise. In fact, so much so that Jesus said he gets excited about it. And in the next verse, he says, I will praise you. I, your son, will come as well. And I will praise you among the brethren when we begin to gather together in worship. And I will tell them of the Father's love. You may have experienced this before. You're in an atmosphere of worship, people lifting up their voices, and you feel far from God. You feel distant from him. But in that moment, suddenly, you begin to become convinced of the Father's love for you. That, that sin pattern, that thing you felt guilty and ashamed about, it suddenly begins to get washed away in the presence of God and in the gathering because Jesus is right there among us and he's lifting up the name of the Father along with the rest of us and he's saying, I'm gonna tell you about the Father's love in his presence. <sighs> there is something powerful that happens in the gathering. Now, I, I know that this might feel somewhat subjective. And it might feel like I'm taking scriptures just to justify what we're doing right now. And people might be asking a question. I know that many are. Okay, I get it. But is it, I mean, is it really that much more powerful just when, when people are together? I mean, like, can't, can't we experience it like anywhere else? Is it really more powerful there? So let me offer an analogy that has nothing to do with the Bible, but something that I think we could all latch onto right now because of recent events in our world. If it's not more powerful when people gather together, could not every protest that we've seen over the last four months have been done behind the safety of a television screen? Could not people have 
protested the injustice for George Floyd and Maude Aubrey and Breonna Taylor with a sign in their hand standing behind their television screen like the church has been asked to do for the last four months. Just a thought. No, no one would assert that because it's absolutely ridiculous. No one would, it would be insulting to suggest that people should protest from behind a television screen. Why? Because that's not, it's powerful when people get together and they join their voices and they say, this is what we're demanding right now. And yet the church has been asked to buy into a narrative that we should be able to operate with the same power when we are scattered abroad and we have to enjoy it from the comfort of our living rooms behind our television screens. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying if that's what we're being told we must do, then we have to acknowledge for a moment, who is the source of this scattering? Who is trying to keep the church apart? Because if the authority of God is established when people gather together, would not the enemy want to keep us in our own separate spaces? Wouldn't the enemy not want to keep us divided and all around the place? No, he understands, man, if they get back together, God's gonna establish his authority again. That every lie that I've been pitching and everything else that I've been propagating out there is gonna be exposed for what it truly is. So let me just keep them apart for a little bit longer. But when we gather and we begin to lift up the name of Jesus, suddenly the authority of God is established again and we realize God still sits on the throne and this too shall pass. Come on somebody in Jesus name. I'm going to rip through my skinny jeans. Hallelujah. They're a little bit skinnier because of Corona. <laughs> Put on a couple levies. All right. That's pounds. LB levies. Anyway. All right. Number two. Why gather? Because clarity comes in the gathering. Because clarity comes in the gathering. One of the scriptures we've been praying out over our entire church for the last couple of weeks, our intercession team, our leadership team, we've been praying Psalms chapter 73 over the Father's house. And I absolutely love Psalm 73. It's not one that you've read often. I encourage you to go back and read it because I think it, it brings a whole lot of clarity around what we're doing right now. It talks about the fact that clarity comes in the gathering. It's written by a guy named Asaph. And Asaph was one of the three worship leaders that David had commissioned to lead worship in the house of God. And he's a great songwriter. He's got a couple of tunes there in the Psalms. Uh, but I think this is probably one of his, his best jams, if you will. This is the song that, like, if you're listening to the radio and this song came on, you, you know, you get the single tear that kind of comes down your cheek and you're like, this dude gets me. Like, that, it's that kind of a song. Because in Psalm 73, Asaph begins to articulate what I think a lot of people are feeling right now. He begins to talk about the fact that everything around him doesn't make sense. Everything's confusing. He's like, I don't, I don't understand what's happening. I, I don't understand the world around me. I don't understand why these people are doing these things. And I don't understand why they're prospering while other people are not. Like, I, I, nothing makes sense right now. And he's questioning everything. He literally gets to a point right in the middle of the psalm where he's like, I don't even know why I'm serving God anymore. Always a great place for your worship leader to be, right? <laughs> hey, Jonah, how you doing? Well, I don't even know why I'm serving God anymore. Okay, let's put the guitar down before you lead the people into the presence of Jesus. Like, kind of a rough spot, but it's gut honest, and I love that. Look at what he says in verse two of uh, Psalm 73. He says, as for me, I almost lost my footing my feet were slipping and I was almost gone. I almost lost my footing. My, sleep, my feet were slipping and I was almost gone. And for 15 verses, 
Asaph just begins to vent. He begins to rant. He gives voice to that reality. My faith is crumbling. Nothing makes sense. I don't even know how to feel right now. Everything that I thought was truth, I'm questioning. I don't understand what's happening. Can I just say, I think that's a song a lot of people are singing right now. In fact, I know that's a song that a lot of people in our community, not the general community, but even within the micro community here of the Father's house. I get text messages and phone calls and emails every single week from people who are feeling as Asaph is feeling in this, in this song. My feet are slipping. Nothing makes sense. I don't even know if I want to serve God anymore. Being a 22-month-old church comes with a lot of benefits, but it also comes with some, some concerns. Over 400 people have given their life to Jesus in this church since we started. Some have come back to faith. Yeah, that's worth clapping about for sure. Some have rediscovered their faith here. Some have given their life to Christ for the first time. But when COVID-19 hit, we had a whole lot of baby Christians that hadn't quite been able to mature in their faith yet to the point where they knew how to withstand this kind of a storm. But all these people who were experiencing freedom were finally beginning to understand how much Jesus loved them. And they were in the word and they were praying and they were coming to church every single week. And this was the highlight of their week, being in the presence of God among the gathered believers. And then suddenly that was taken away. And and I'm grateful for mature believers that are in the house that have been on the journey for a long time and you know how to self-feed and you can read the Bible and you can keep your face strong without the gathering for a little bit. But man, that's just not the reality of the Father's house. We got a lot of young Christians around here and a lot of people that desperately need to be in the house on Sunday morning because this is the only thing that breathes hope, that brings life, where they experience the reality of God's presence. This is the only place for it. And for four months, they've been without that. And many of them found them, many have found themselves in the place where Asaph did, where they're saying, I don't know if I can believe anymore. My feet are slipping and I'm almost gone. And that pains me as a pastor. But there's a moment here in this Psalm where everything shifts. There's a moment where suddenly clarity comes to this broken worship leader just crying out for some answers. And here's what he says in verse 16. He says, when I tried to understand it all, I couldn't. It was too puzzling, too much of a riddle to me. But then one day I was brought into the house of God and in the light of glory, my distorted perspective vanished. He said, none of it made sense. Outside of the presence, outside of the house, nothing made sense. But then one day, someone invited me to come to church. And when I walked into the house of God and I experienced the glory of God's presence, suddenly everything that was distorted and everything that didn't make sense, it began to vanish and everything became clear again. He said, I was trying to make sense of CNN and Fox News and MSNBC and ah! But then I came into the presence and suddenly it all made sense. I was trying to figure out how do I fight for justice, but how do I, you know, make sense of all this stuff that's happening right now? Black Lives Matter and, and, and where, do I march or do I not? And are there, is every cop a racist? I don't know. And then I walked into the house of God and suddenly all of the tension dropped and clarity came. God showed me how he created every single person in his image and how this is supposed to be a place where equality exists. 
I was trying to make sense of the politicians and they're slinging mud at each other and everyone's saying this and that. But then I came into the light of God's presence and his glory. And when I walked into the house, all of my distorted perspectives vanished. Come on, that is exactly what our world needs right now. There's a lot of distorted perspective out there right now. Nothing makes sense. If you had told us that this was gonna happen four months ago, we would have laughed in your face. But here we are with masks on in church, bathed in sanitizer, doing everything we can to try to stay safe. And there's a lot of questions still in our heads. But isn't it interesting how those questions just seem to fade away in the light of his glory, in the light of his presence? So if you're asking why I'm gathering, if you're asking why the doors of the church are open, it's because I love those people in our church way too much to let them sit at home isolated any longer while their faith begins to crumble. And we must make a space for those who need to be in the house to enter into his presence, to experience his authority and to have clarity come in times of confusion. That's why the house exists. So again, my motive, please do not misinterpret my motive. My motive is not to try to get someone who doesn't need to be in the room right now into the room. It's not to twist people's arm. It's not to try to make you feel guilty for not being in church. That's not it at all. My motive is simply to say, this is what happens in the gathering. And this is why we are sitting in this building right now. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.